so I didn't, I didn't come into this world to be um, quiet. <laughs> <laughs> Hello and welcome to another episode of Get Your Fill, Financial Independence and Long Life, where we explore ways to achieve those two goals. And who better to help us do that than Lynn Bowman? Lynn <clears throat> is a self-described snarky grandma. She doesn't own a restaurant. She's not a reality TV star. She doesn't have a medical degree and she doesn't particularly like to cook, but she has a best-selling new book called Brownies for Breakfast, a cookbook for diabetics and the people who love them. It is a cool, fun, beautiful guidebook for anybody who wants to eat healthy, vegan, vegetarian, pescatarian, gluten-free, and sugar-free. Oh my God, that's my whole diet. I don't, I, there'd be nothing left for me to eat. <laughs> and Lynn is going to tell us how you can succeed without the things she doesn't have and with the things she does have and just have a fun, amazing life. Lynn, thank you so much for being with us today. I can't wait to hear your journey. Well, I love this and I'm so happy to be with you, Christine. This is big fun for me. Podcasting, who knew? Right. Uh, <laughs> right. It's crazy. And here we are. And here we are on opposite coasts, 3000 miles apart. Exactly. Fantastic. So, I mean, I don't even know where to begin to ask about your, how you became, how you went from being a, a non, you know, not all these things to writing what, what I don't want to talk about the cookbook actually first. I want to talk about you and how you kind of got, got going. Like, a little bit of your backstory. Tell us how you came to this point in your life. Well, you know, I, as we were talking before we started recording, I'm really, really old. I'm 76. <laughs> and so I'm in that cohort of people that people don't even think about anymore. It's like we automatically think, well, she's done, you know, <laughs> whatever she did, it's over here. <laughs> and, and on the covers of magazines, it's always fashion at you know 20 30 40 50 wait wait six wait seven wait what no so um i'm partly here just to tell you hey you know you can you can still be breathing and walking and having a good time in your seven and beyond and that's my intention my intention is to still be wearing my cowgirl boots that i have on right this minute uh, standing up straight and giving orders, you know, for another 25 years. Fantastic. And the more research that comes out and the more I read and study about it, we can do this. Yeah. We can, we can continue to have really good, healthy, fun life, you know, on and on and dress cool. If that's what <laughs> want to do. And Absolutely. what you're hearing is this is a woman who's been in a hoodie for two years, right? Like everybody else. So I am kind of tickled to be looking back in my closet going, oh, hey, beautiful. How are you? Yeah. Why don't we, you know, pull you out and we'll see what happens. Right, um, it's like a whole new wardrobe. Like, it's oh, all wow. new. I've forgotten all of it because it's so long, right? So it's all fresh and new. But I started out like, Everybody, I think, starts out, Christine. I stumbled out into the world clueless. And especially because when I was 18, my mother died. And my whole life that I had known, my house was gone. My dog had to go. My dad was basically off on another life. My brother and sister were older. They were gone. So at the age of 18, the, the, the saying, your luggage was on the lawn, that that really was me. And so, and in those days, there was no time for mourning. Nobody wanted to talk to you about your grief or your feelings or anything. That just, no, it was like, well, okay, girl, what are you gonna do now? Yeah. Um, I was at UCLA. I had just started there in my first semester. So I did a couple more semesters at UCLA and the whole time thinking, what am I doing here? This doesn't make any sense. You know, why am I here? Uh, it all seemed so kind of, I don't know. And remember, this was a time I graduated from high school in 1964. So one of our favorite words was irrelevant. You know, it just was all so irrelevant. <laughs> um, because there was this huge schism between us, our generation, and our parents, the government 
the world, we were all looking around going, this is nuts. We've got this war going on that doesn't make any sense. Hello, we're here again. Um, the more yeah. things change, right? The more they stay the same. Right? And, you know, there were riots going on in LA and elsewhere about you know, race relations and so on. And so there was all of this upheaval. And as women, as females in 1964, I, you know, the whole idea of, well, what are you going to do with your life? What's your plan? I was female. So what did it matter? <laughs> I could relevant. Yeah, it was irrelevant. <laughs> totally. I couldn't go to Harvard. It wasn't co-ed. You know, the the whole idea of what we would do with our lives, what we would become, you had a couple of choices. You could get married, be a wife and mother, or um, let's see, what's number two? Okay, you could be a nurse. Prostitute. <laughs> you could be a prostitute. Just don't tell folks so much how you're coming up with those good clothes. <laughs> Um, you could be an actress, you could be, um, although there were no good parts and you not speaking parts and so right. on, but I mean, and I'm being snarky, you were warned, um, <laughs> but they're just, you know, we didn't think of ourselves as having a future except mm, those things, you know, it was like, well, and, and we thought of ourselves as being the recipients of our future, right? It was going to happen to us. Some guy was going to do something, hire us or marry us or something. And that, and we would take it from there. So um, when I was 19 or maybe 20, I got a one-way ticket to Europe um, and went. Wow, good for you. <laughs> well, <Look out. laughs> you know, I, I was, I was free, which Going back, you know, it took me a long time to forgive my mom for leaving me, but one of the gifts that she left me was my freedom. And that's a thing we don't, we still don't give our daughters. You know, we don't give our sons particularly either, but we really don't give our daughters much freedom, yeah. I think, yeah. to, to really take control, yeah. be in charge of who the, and screw up, you know? The, the whole idea of becoming successful and finding yourself involves, I'm sorry, screwing up yeah. big time. And I'm using good language here. How am I right. <laughs> um, and, the, and the more you mess things up miserably and land on your butt in the gutter, the more you know. And until you do that, you don't really know anything. And I'm prejudiced, but that's what I think. I think, for example, no one should be elected to public office in this country, at least, who hasn't stayed up all night with a sick baby screaming, who hasn't been at the bedside of a dying relative for days doing everything. Who ha I mean, I could make a list. Yeah. And if you look at your elected officials, you're going to see right away. You don't know these people, but you can be pretty sure yeah. they haven't done any of those things. Right which are the things, those are the skills, those are the experiences that make us human and that make us understand what we want the government to do and what we don't want it to do. Yeah. Um, that screaming baby is a big time teacher. And that's if it's yours or your sisters or your granddaughter. I mean, you know, right. it's, it's all the same thing. So I went to Europe and I was gonna, you know, try my hand at being an illustrator and um, I got jobs as a nanny and I learned how to speak French better and drink, you know, kind of bad wine that was still pretty good. And, uh, and I, important note, I learned what a cassoulet was because I was eating cheap food on the streets of France, which if you haven't done that, if you haven't lived in Italy or France and eaten the cheap food, you haven't There's lived. <laughs> some stuff that you need to know. And a lot of what I talk about, Christine, you know this in my book and on my podcasts and so on, is about food, real food, and the importance of food and food with people. Um, and in the United States and other parts of the world, we're exporting our awful food culture. We're removing ourselves from food and from how it's grown. Yeah. So those experiences of bouncing around and just sort of bumbling and 
came back to the US, got jobs. In those days, you just got a job. We didn't even have resumes. You know, it was like, help one. And truly, and people, anybody who's under 50 doesn't remember, doesn't know that in those days, it was help wanted women and help wanted men in the newspaper. That's how we found jobs. We didn't have recruiters. You know, we didn't, we didn't have LinkedIn or anything. We had a newspaper, LA Times in my case, and it was help wanted women. And so uh, that's how I got my first couple of jobs. And, and then I wound up getting a job that sounded pretty good. And it actually was with Redken Laboratories. Wow. In, yeah, in Van Nuys. In those days, small, struggling, brand new, kind of um, groundbreaking cosmetic company. And I'm thinking, yes, hair stuff, you know, <laughs> I, I can do that. And uh, took the job as, I think, copywriter. And three weeks after I had taken the job, I walked in on a Monday morning and everyone but me in the advertising department had been fired. And I'm pretty sure the only reason I wasn't was because I was the new girl and nobody had anything on me at that point. Um, so I went into the president of the company, a woman, Paula Kent was her name, and said, uh, okay, well, I'll just do everything I can do to keep this ship moving forward and we'll deal with it and so on. And she said, okay. And I did. And because, you know, if you're desperate right, and you want the job, um, you just do whatever it makes sense to do. And in my case, all of the vendors, I, one by one, I said to each one of them, teach me, you need to teach me everything right now. Wow. wow. So that we can move this so that we can keep doing this. And so the printers and the reproduction art guy and all these folks said, okay, yeah, come on over to the shop and I'll show you how we're doing this stuff. And so that was my grad school. That's I fantastic. Spent three what a great years opportunity. And I started, it was a fantastic opportunity and I took it, which is my advice to everybody. Say yes. Grab on both <laughs> hands. Yeah, I can do it. Yeah, yeah. I've seen people do that. Yeah, I can do that. Um. And so for three years, I had, I worked my tush off around the clock, the American way, seven days a week and um, traveled and did all this stuff. But I had started out as a 21 year old doing this stuff. Um, and I hired people and we, we pretty soon had a great little ad department going and it was fun. And uh, full of interesting people, love the beauty business, big fun. Vidal Sassoon, I don't know if you remember that name or not, but oh, yeah, he was our absolutely. star guy that was working with us. And then um, I did a thing, when we look back at our careers and we go, what the hell was I thinking? <laughs> and why didn't anybody grab me and say, girl, what are you thinking? Because what did I do? I was worried that I would wake up and be 45 years old and be a single, childless advertising executive. Oh, mm -hmm. what a horrible fate, huh? <laughs> so, and this was 1967. So what did I do? I didn't take a leave of absence. I didn't go in until I didn't, no, I quit and went to Europe again with my brother on it. Yeah. What was I thinking? What? Um, because also they went public a year or two later. Whoa. So I would have been Ouch. truly a wealthy 45 year old single <laughs> childless, oh, childless woman, whatever. But I missed out on that one big time. So I went off and did other things and um, worked for a legal newspaper and I, did, I don't know, a series of things. And then I was at a horse show and this is also about, this is how your career develops. I'm at a horse show <laughs> with my brother in North Carolina. And this guy says, so what do you do? And I, I don't know what I told him, I made up something. And he said, well, we're looking for somebody at the uh, NBC affiliate here in Wilmington, North Carolina. Wow. Um, would you send me a, a reel, a tape? I said, sure. Thank you. Hmm. 
So I went back to LA, somehow got a tape together, sent it to him and got hired um, to, to do news. Yeah. On the NBC affiliate, because in those days, there were no women doing that. There was Barbara Walters. I think she was the only one. Somebody could argue with me, please do. But this was not a thing that women did. And, and the only thing I had going for me, I think really was um, the fact that I was young, reasonably good looking, at least on camera. And I had a California accent. Oh, that was it. So I sounded kind of Hollywood. So I took this job, but it turned out to be weather and not news. They wanted to put me on the weather first. I didn't know dip about weather, nothing, nothing. But that was okay with them. (laughs) It's looking standing in front of the map. That's all they need. (laughs) Oh, God. You know, so that was a disaster. But um, there, and there are more disasters. I could go on because, again, it's a long time. But, um, you know, some good jobs and some interesting jobs. And uh, I ended up a creative director for Gallo Winery, which you think, oh, you know, kind of marquee name, biggest winery in the world, worst job I ever had, including the weather job. It was horrible. <laughs> um, and I, I only lasted like 11 months or something like that. But um, out of I came back to the Silicon Valley, which was where I was um, kind of focused at the time. My sister was in Silicon Valley and um, she had been the one who put an Apple II in my hands. Did you ever have, and said, you're going to learn how to use this. I said, no, I'm not. It's a computer. I don't know anything about that. She said, yes, you are. And she physically put my hands on it and said, okay, you just type here and you do this. So I think I was actually the first person to write advertising copy on a computer in the Silicon Valley, at least I wow. claim to be. Wow. Um, so time and place, yeah. right? Yeah. I didn't ask for that. I didn't know that I was coming. Right. I was not trained for that, but I said, yes. So I took the computer and I took it under my arm and they all said, what's that? <laughs> but you know, that we all know where it went from there, right? The right. whole industry just went, er, um, and so uh, I went to Gallo after that and I came back and went to work for another agency, got fired again, you know, and we think of that as being, oh, I'm like, what, <laughs> <laughs> you know, cause it's, cause that's what happens. People get fired. You get fired for being too competent just as easily as you get fired for not being competent at all. You get fired for looking wrong. You get fired for so many different reasons, making too much money, you know, whatever. Yep. So um, I went to my sister's house and flopped on her couch, you know, pulled out some Marlboros in those days. That's what we were doing. Um, and sat there and she said, oh, for Pete's sake, just pick up the phone. She said, you know, all kinds of people, you've written copy for all these people, just pick up the phone and, and see if anybody needs some help. Mm, okay. So idea, I, right? <laughs> I called people. I said, hi. Yeah. You know, you need any copy. And they all said, yes. Wow. <laughs> because it was 1980 six, seven, and Silicon Valley was exploding and all these new products were coming out and nobody knew how to write about them. And I had at that, by that time, been writing about them for years. Um, And there was this whole industry that was about getting consumers to use technology products. So there, there was a key role for copy, advertising copy to play in explaining all this stuff to consumers. And I said, yes, (laughs) okay, I can do that. And I did, and it was interesting and fun and the money was really good. Cool. Um, So unlike a lot of other, by that time, single mother, three kids, that's a whole other story, but I was able to make a good living 
with my own business starting that day. And I just said, oh yeah, I've got my own agency now. Wow. <laughs> As of 20 minutes ago, right? <laughs> I'm now a, a creative services agency and I'm going to really help you out. <laughs> and so that was the beginning of a great business for me that served me very well for more than a decade after that. Unbelievable. And I escaped cube life. <laughs> right? Made you way out of the cubicle. <laughs> yes. I, I got out. I mean, I had not really been stuck in cubes so much as a lot of other people are, but, yeah. but that once I got my feet on the ground, just doing my own thing. And it was relatively simple. And it was hilarious, Christine, because my, my kids by that time were kind of preteen and, and um, I had my office at home. And so no matter what crazy stuff would be going on in the house, they're fighting and doors are slamming and everything. When the phone would ring, it would all go silent. <laughs> and if one of them answered the phone, it was Lynn Bowman Creative Services. <laughs> they all learned, bless their little hearts, at the age of 10, 11, 12, how to help me run a business from home. And I mean, we're doing that again, pandemic-wise, that's brought that whole thing back. Yeah. But in those days, I didn't even tell people I had kids. And it wasn't chic. It wasn't cool. Right, right. Yeah. It, it was weird that you had a career and you had a bunch of kids too. So now that they're all in their forties, you know, we laugh about it and they credit that to a great extent for having taught them some basics about business. What's marketing, you know, what's average, yeah. how do you, how do you talk on the phone to a client? How do you service a client? How do you always be there for your clients? So yeah. on and so forth. Kind of really yeah. basic thing. Cause that's what they saw me doing in the living room is with one hand, you know, like this, you know. Thank God it wasn't Zoom at that time, right? Thank heaven that it was not visible, right? It was just on the phone. And as far as the client on the other end of the line was concerned, I was in some glam office, you know, with secretaries all around and so on. But no, there were a bunch of little screaming kids in the background, dogs, cats, crazy stuff. Um, but it worked. It was okay. It was fine. And so, you know, we do what we need to do when we need to do it. But it's Don't more we? than that, Lynn. I mean, it sounds like you have, you know, what, one of the themes that I see sort of stitched through your story is that when the opportunity came, you said yes, and then figured out how later, you know, I mean, Absolutely. not everyone does that, right? Well, that's my advice to all of y'all. Yeah. Just say yes, and then figure mm -hmm. it out after that. Call somebody. Who do I know that can help me with it? Really? Want a friend? Yeah, let's go. Yeah, yeah. Who do I know that can help? Now you've got Google. You just <laughs> look it up, right? Right. You've got exactly. YouTube. You just look it up. Somebody is out there making a how-to video right now about whatever it is that you need to know how to do. Absolutely. I know these kids these days, they don't know what it was like before Google and YouTube and all that stuff. You like, you had to find a human being that you knew who would be able to teach you how to do these things. Yeah. Or, yeah, yeah. So that's a long winded way of saying uh, uh, my journey, how, you know, and, and I've always been writing. I didn't start out to be a writer, but Back in the Redken days, I found that I could always find people who were better than I was at the design, at the illustration. Well, my illustrations were pretty good, but uh, you know, I could find art directors who were talented and hardworking and great. Could never find anybody who knew how to write the way I thought the writing should be done. So I just did it. I didn't have anybody saying, "Oh, you're a good," you know, or you know, I didn't take a class. Nothing. I just did it. And, and so where that comes, I think we all have our secret little something in there that's like, well, no, I can do that. You know, yeah, I, yeah. I get that. I understand that. And it goes way back, I think, in many cases to childhood that we were communicators or we're not or we're dancers or we're singers or we're storytellers or something. Yeah. Um, 
And, and I, after having had a bunch of kids and now I've got grandkids, it's amazing to me the programming that's in place. I do not for one second believe that kids are born with a blank slate. They're not. I think it's just the opposite. I think they're born with a lot and we erase things little by little yeah. by, you know, feeding them our own insecurities, but yeah. Yeah. So, and also you said insecurities, which is an interesting word because so much of the conversation now on podcasting is about fears and insecurities. And I think one of my legs up Christine was that I was the youngest of three kids and I was ignored a great deal. <laughs> I was feral. I was, and I grew up at a time when people just, what kids, right? <laughs> the moms were in the kitchen, drinking Manhattans, smoking Pell-Mells, gossiping about the neighbors. You know, the, the whole idea of parenting was <laughs> so different. I mean, you know, we would just be gone. And I'm not the first one to say this. You hear people talking about, we would just disappear in the morning and go. Yeah. Building forts up in the mountains, killing rattlesnakes, whatever. <laughs> you know, I would get on grade pony horses that I'd never been on before. I mean, if I saw my granddaughter doing this, I would just have a heart attack. <laughs> but we would get on these horses and just go. Oh my goodness. We would just go. And of course, wound up in the dirt, broke our arms, busted our teeth out, all those things. We spent a lot of time in the emergency room. Oh you know, goodness. we were in the ocean for eight hours at a time in inner tubes. <laughs> That's how we grew up. And now, you know, mom and dad are right on top of everything yeah. that the kids helicopter are parents, right? That wasn't a thing. <laughs> it was not a thing. And plus my mom was not well. Oh. She was not strong. And, right, right. and so I didn't even know that other people had moms who did things for bought them things and found things. And so my dad went to work and my mom went to bed and I did whatever I thought I should do. <laughs> so right? if but the good news is you wound up then being an adult that's like, well, I can do that. <laughs> or not worried because you can't it's like well can't do that but you know or you just have a, a different take on life yeah uh, when you haven't had a lot of guidance <laughs> and I really which turns out to be a great advantage I think you know looking at ways. you today I think that was good that you didn't get you know fed all the <clears throat> you know you can't do ways. that you're a girl you know you can't do that don't try that right and I'll give my mom and my grandma some, some credit there. My mom was a graduate student in English lit when she married my dad. She was educated. She was in college. She was in graduate school. So for that time, but the kicker is her mom had graduated from college. So, okay, do the math on that. Yeah. That was in like 1905, wow, 1910. Yeah. Um, it, you know, so I come from a, a fairly long line of um, pushy women. <laughs> um, independent is uh, maybe a, a bit euphemistic. Um, my grandma was tough as nails, little redhead. You know, she ran a, a country school in Utah. Um, so I didn't, I didn't come into this world to be um, quiet. <laughs> <laughs> so do you, do you feel like these experiences just sort of led you to, I mean, well, first of all, is Brownies for Breakfast, is that your first book? Oh, no, ma'am. It's my fourth book. Woo, awesome. Um, but it's the first one that only has my name on it. Uh, I, I have collaborated with a couple of people to do previous books and had fun. And the theme was roughly the same in a way, health and beauty. Mm -hmm. um, but this book was particularly about diabetes, type two diabetes. And I, I was driven to do it because I have been diabetic since I was in my forties, wow. uh, type two diabetes. And I, that also was a gift. I found out early in my life in my forties that I had this disease. 
So many people don't find out until it's so much later. And this is a disease that works silently with no particular um, symptoms on people uh, destroying you from the inside. And so if you don't know you have it, by the time you are diagnosed, very often it's, it's quite debilitating. It, it can be very serious. Wow. So the combination of losing my mom early in my life and going, I am not going to leave my kids. I am not, I am going to be the last one standing <laughs> that attitude. And so I began researching and trying to figure out because the, the medical community, very little help yeah. with a lot of chronic diseases, but particularly one that is based on what you eat yeah. and how you move. And I'm not the first one to come on a podcast and say the medical community, they aren't educated about nutrition. They don't tell you this big pharma. It's all about money. All true. And so I was determined to put the information at the information is really simple. What's not simple is getting people to pay attention and do it. Yeah. Uh, And very few people more now than in times past. And I credit things like your show podcasts and, and YouTubes because the information is out there and more and more as sort of bro culture meets longevity. um, It's the cool thing that's coming out of that is people are taking health seriously in new ways, like preventive health and, and healing with food are becoming serious science. Now, it was considered sort of quackery 15, 20 years ago, really not long ago. And yet all of the research is coming out now to underline the fact that if you eat right and move and you know what you're doing, you can prevent or control, manage, reverse chronic disease, including diabetes and heart disease and other diseases. So just by making a few tweaks in the way you eat, you can make yourself well. I mean, your skin stuff clears up, your GERD clears up, your cough goes away, your nose doesn't run. It's miraculous what you can do by just not eating crap. Yeah. Amazing. It is amazing. So I wrote the book uh, and... What it is, is grandma recipes, simple things, easy things to, to demonstrate that it's not hard. It's really, really basic and it's pretty and it's fun and you can put good stuff on the table and you'll save money. And we were talking about this before you hit record too. People still don't understand that their wealth their real wealth is based on good health. If you or people in your family are suffering from health problems, especially if they're debilitating, if they're, that's where all your money will go in this country, in the United States. You and 85% of the bankruptcies in this country are health related. And so what good does it do you, dear pals out there listening now, what good does it do you to make a killing in real estate if it's all going to go because you're eating crappy food and you're not healthy? You have heart disease, your belly's standing up, you have diabetes, you can't have a normal life. Money is not the answer. I love money and I like <laughs> a lot of it. Don't get me wrong. <laughs> I've been proud to earn some. And have some. But to enjoy it, to, to reap the benefits of having that for your family, for yourself, you got to be standing up. You have to be healthy. So that's what my little book, it's actually a fairly big book, but it's, it's only 214 pages, a lot of pictures, big pictures um, <laughs> and, and stories too. But, and you don't need 300 recipes. You need maybe 50, yeah. maybe 20, really. <laughs> but you need to do them. You need to do something in the kitchen. You cannot drive through and be healthy. You cannot be eating in restaurants every meal or doing DoorDash and be healthy. Sorry, 
No, you can't. Yeah. It's impossible. You have to cook real food, whole food, plant-based food at home to be healthy. So that's the bad news. But that's, that's, that's terrible news. I don't know. Yeah. I'm likely to starve to death now. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so were you, when you got your diagnosis, mm -hmm. did you already have sort of this healthy lifestyle or is this something that you did? I was broke, it? honey. I <laughs> We're talking ramen noodles. I had a bunch of kids, right? <laughs> and I had to cook for them. So, and I wasn't going to cook crummy food for them. I was going to, and even, you know, earlier before I had my kids, I was the girl in the neighborhood who cooked. Yeah. Which was not dumb because everybody wanted to come to my house <laughs> and they brought wine. Um, <laughs> so um, I, I don't know why even exactly. I always love to eat. And, and so I knew if I couldn't afford to go out and, you know, and then I didn't want to go out with that guy just to get a steak, <laughs> I, I, which, you know, there might've been some of that. Um, <laughs> come on. It was the sixties. Right. <laughs> uh, so I cooked and it, it's not hard, you know, it's really easy. And, and I didn't have YouTube and all that stuff, <laughs> but I had a couple of books. I had Fanny Farmer. Is the oh, book wow. I remember that. My mom had that book. <laughs> Great book. Small type, but I was young, so I could read it. Um, so I learned how to cook. Not fancy, but I could put a meal on the table. And when I had kids, what I, encouraged, I literally had a couple of girlfriends who would say, how do you do this? How do you even do this? You come home from work, and 20 minutes later, I'm eating at your table. Your kids are eating at your table. How do you do that? <laughs> and so my, my first book was fast, cheap, and skinny, because <laughs> I, I wrote about how to put a meal on the table really quick. And of course, in those days, all I cared about was just staying thin, right? Uh, and feeding the kids. So it also turns out that that's a great way to save money on food. Um, when you're cooking healthy, it's cheap. And when the pandemic started, remember the big, oh my gosh, you know, the shelves are empty at the grocery store. We can't get this. There's no food. And so, no, no, no. You didn't go into produce, did you, honey? Because <laughs> there was a ton of cabbage in there. There was no run on celery. There was plenty <laughs> of celery. So it's a survival mechanism. Eating healthy is cheap. It tastes good. Um, you'll live longer, happier. Yeah. So, well, yeah. and you're, you're absolutely right that, I mean, they say that if you don't have your health, you know, you don't have anything, but I don't think no. people really think about it. No. I don't think they really I understand the correlation between the decisions they're making today to eat not great stuff and their future, right? Yeah. And I want to re reiterate that I think most of what they're eating, if you're eating anything in a bag or a box, it's not just not great stuff. It's crap. It is big food. It is designed, engineered by the craveability industry. Um, and if you think that I'm spreading, <laughs> you know, conspiracy there, no, 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 it's, uh, it's out there. Michael Moss has written a brilliant book called Hooked. There are many others about it, it's about money and you have allowed yourself to be addicted to sugar for for money that goes to someone else um so stop i want you to stop right now <laughs> and eat good food real food whole food plant-based food and there's a there's a lot out there right now about paleo and keto and some of that is interesting science. Uh, it's not all BS. Uh, I'm actually working on something right now, which is plant-based keto. Interesting, yeah. Wow, interesting. Um, because, it, and, and there's another thing that's going around now that is actually ancient, it's not new, but there's new science about fasting and about time-restricted eating, another way of saying fasting for a few hours. Yeah. Um, and the science is very, very interesting, particularly for people with chronic disease, mm -hmm. like mine, type two diabetes and experimenting with 
that, I've now brought my hemoglobin A1C down into normal range. So I'm, I'm technically not diabetic if you measure me. And that's coming from having been diabetic since I was in my 40s. But what I've learned over the years has now served to put me out of diabetic range. The deal is you can't say I'm cured or it's reversed because if I stopped doing what I'm doing now, it would be back in a heartbeat. Right, yeah. So to me, that's information that needs to be spread. Everybody needs to know that. I want everybody to know how much power they have to stay out of the healthcare system. What kinds of things, I mean, obviously diabetes is one that everybody points to when you have, you know, you're not maybe eating optimally, but are there other diseases that you can think of right away that, all of them, Christy, <laughs> heart disease, huge, cancer. All of the research is coming back now, indicting food choices for cancer. I mean, it, and, and this isn't new, but more and more and more research is being done. I, I mean, I think most of us knew that sugar feeds cancer. And one of the things, even that your lame doctor is going to say to you, if you, if he's an oncologist and you've been diagnosed with breast cancer or whatever, they're going to say to you, try not to eat sugar. And what I'm going to say to you is, bit like a hot freaking rock. Now, stop, <laughs> stop. Don't like dial it back. Quit. Yeah. And one of the things that um, I want you to know about in my book, and I, I'll actually send this to you free. If you go on my um, website and sign up, I have a Lynn's list. I will send you the brownie recipe and I will send you a piece about sweeteners, which is something I want everybody to know. And I will send you some other things, recipes, additional recipes and so on, but that's free. It doesn't cost you anything. Um, because if you don't know what some of the really good sweeteners are, healthy, you know, natural sweeteners that you can get now, that's the key to quitting sugar. Yeah. I think I'm not asking you to not eat sweets. My book is full of sweets, <laughs> fantastic sweets, but they're made with monk fruit. And my brownies are made with no flour, no oil. They're made with almond butter and eggs or egg substitute and real cocoa and pumpkin. Wow. Vegetable. Oh, wow. And pumpkin has this great ability to mimic flour and oil in texture, but it's a vegetable and it's full of vitamins and all this stuff and it's not overly processed. And it's just, when you have a can of pumpkin at home and you look at the label, what does it say? It says pumpkin. <laughs> One ingredient. <laughs> so that's what you want. You don't want anything with a list of ingredients. Another thing actually that I had fun doing in the book was donuts, donut recipes. I mean it and they're great. On one side is my recipe for a red velvet donut with the ingredients listed. And I think there are five or six ingredients. On the other page in seven point type, the whole entire page is filled with the ingredients in a popular drive-through, won't name it, <laughs> red velvet donut. It has so many ingredients, you will have to have a drink before you finish reading the list. <laughs> and you are out there, y'all, I know, I see you. You are out there eating these things every day. And then you drink your coffee, your frappuccino coffee that is full of sugar, and milk, which is full of sugar. Milk is sugar, as far as your body is concerned. Mm -hmm. And with a little coffee waved over it. <laughs> and you are holding that against your teeth and your gums all day. So your dentist is having a fit because you who have spent all this money getting your teeth straightened and bleached and everything, your teeth are falling out because of your sugary coffee drinks. Wow. Yeah, it's a thing. And you know, and it's not a thing that you think about. No. I mean, it's not a thing that the average person thinks about. 
No. So, right. and you're not average if you're listening to this podcast. <laughs> you're clearly above uh, average, yeah. but that doesn't mean you're capping. Way above real. average. <laughs> so please, please put that dang thing down. And if you're going to drink coffee, and I do, I mean, I'm an addict. It's right here, <laughs> right here, right by me. I, but I'm also a snob about my coffee and I make really good French press coffee, drink a lot of it. Um, and that's what I recommend for you is make friends with really good coffee and drink it black. You can do it. You can absolutely do it. And if you have to drink it with goop in it, um, there's a recipe in the book for making coconut cream. You can whip it. It's really good. A little vanilla and some of the sweeteners that I recommend, like monk fruit, um, is delicious. But what? not any dairy that you buy in the grocery store or that you get in certain chains of coffee houses, it's just, it's just not good. It's not good for the earth. It's not good for the cow. And it is not good for you or your guts or your microbiome or your belly or anything or your skin, nothing. No dairy right now. Stop. <laughs> wow. So Lynn, if someone's listening, which obviously they are, if or they wouldn't be hearing me say this, um, and they wanted to do something today, mm. they want to say, okay, I, let me, I'm going to, Lynn has shaken me up. She's given okay. me a lot to think about. And oh, I love that idea that I could shake somebody up. Yes. And so while I'm waiting for her book to arrive, what is something that I could do right now today that is actually going to make a big difference in the way I feel and get me excited about the prospects of making this bigger change in my life? Oh, a couple of things. I mean, really, truly, I want you to quit sugar. And, it, and, I, and you possibly need some help with some information to do that because it's such a change of lifestyle. And, and so a, a beginning step there is don't put anything in your mouth, even stuff you're familiar with, been eaten for years. Nothing goes in your gorgeous, sweet mouth unless you've read the label. And I highly recommend reading it aloud to anyone who <laughs> listen, even if it's just you. Read the label. It will tell you so much. And we take for granted that we're eating food. You know, that we're, that, and hey, it's from Kellogg's or it's from General Mills or it's from, I don't know, some good cut. No, read that label and begin to grok what it is you're taking into your body. So that's a baby step toward quitting sugar. Huge. Because what you're going to find, not a surprise, everything you eat is full of sugar. In all of its many forms, right? I mean, it's got a lot of different names. It's sucralose, maltodextrin, maple syrup is sugar, honey is sugar, um, all of that. And so, and I explain all that in the book too, if you want details, but I, but I would encourage you to just sign up on my website, lynnbowman.com to get Lynn's list. And I will send you a kind of basic startup kit for how, for how to rethink sweetening everything in your life and how to quit sugar. And then the brownie recipe is in there and I want you to try it. So good, so easy. And once you go, oh, you mean I don't have to give up really yummy? <laughs> no, you do not have to give up yummy. You just have to give up crappy. That's all. Amazing. Well, Lynn, if I can so, look like you when I'm 76, it'll be completely worth it because you're absolutely beautiful and you feel you, you. very youthful is energy. The Sorry. filter is really helping. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the, the YouTube uh, and, and uh, yeah, those filters, we love them. <laughs> beautiful. So definitely Lynn Bowman, Lynn with an E Bowman.com. Check out her website. I am 100% going to download the brownie recipe because I happen to love brownies. We all love brownies. <laughs> What's not to love? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And to find some really, I mean, pumpkin, I actually love pumpkin and I never think about really cooking with it, but it's 
fascinating okay. idea that I'm going to try out for sure. Did I not send you my book? Do you not have the book, Christine? I don't have the book. Because I need to get you that, that book. I, I need your stamp address because pumpkin is a thing with me. There's a lot of pumpkin in the book. We, we live where pumpkins are, are grown. And, and there's such a great plant and the, and pumpkins are so beautiful and orange and yeah. delicious and everything. So yeah. Okay. I'm fantastic. Out. I cannot wait. I actually grew my own pumpkins last year, but I didn't, they weren't the eating variety, but this year maybe we'll do the eating variety. Grow some sugar pies. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Excellent. So Lynn, um, is there anything that you wish I would have asked you? Is there anything that, that I haven't touched on? I mean, I know we could talk for a very long time. And I would love to do that at some later date, but I, I'm I was sure going to say, I want you to ask me back. That's what I want you to yeah, ask. Yeah, absolutely. So that's what we'll do. I'll read the book. I'll try some of the recipes and then we'll have a fun, like, um, you know, tasting day. <laughs> and I have a, a new thing I'm developing right now that, that I'll be sending to people who sign up and that's a keto brownie. Cool. Mm-hmm. Yep. So merging your two, the plant-based and the keto together. So that's yes. Like yeah. Infusion. Yeah. It can be done. <laughs> if anybody can do it, a snarky grandma can do it. Right. right? <laughs> Absolutely. Lynn, thank you so much for being with us today. This has thank been fantastic. You. And you've, you've actually given me a lot to think about as far as my eating habits go. Um, I don't do a lot of, you know, I don't do, do drink uh, sugar at all or anything like that, but um, there are certainly areas for improvement in my personal diet. Uh, <laughs> so I can't wait to try some of your recipes. Great. And thank you, listener, for listening. I'm really excited that you got to hear Lynn and meet her and hear some of her like cool, no, ho- no holes barred story of like, just say yes when it seems even remotely interesting, which is advice for your life. And I hope that you will share this episode with somebody who you think could use a little bit of inspiration for either their diet or just their saying yesness. If that's a a little bit of yes goes a a little little bit of yes, exactly. Exactly. And I hope to see you next week. 